When 2015 kicked in this year, um, I was very excited. Uh, I really got the sense that, you know, our church is five years old and this amazing thing has happened in San Francisco where we never thought uh, that would be possible. And yet I felt like the Lord was stirring and saying to us that I'm, I'm just getting started. I'm not done. I am just getting started. And I feel like that was confirmed with annual vision and prayer night. Like Dave said, it, there was like this palpable thing that the Lord was doing in prayer. Uh, it was very exciting. Um, and as I've led up to this, this week, it's been a of a week. Um, it's been tough this week. And I feel like that's because the Lord really specifically wants to do something today. He wants to, like the, the sense I've gotten other people as we've prayed is that he wants to loose something out onto our church today or in this season. Um, and so there's all kinds of distractions and stuff going on, stuff with, with audio visuals, all kinds of stuff this week that I'll tell you more about. Um, but as I was praying, I just got this sense um, for me to tell you, to tell us uh, how deeply God loves this church, how deeply God is in love with this church, and that he has chosen to pour out his spirit here for the renewal of us, but also for the renewal of this city. That's exciting. It's an incredible honor, but it requires something of us, and that is that we stay deeply connected to God. And that's what we're going to talk about today, that God intentionally wants to be intimately connected with us, with all of us, not just this church, with the church globally, his bride. He wants to be intimately near his bride. Now, we call ourselves, you go on our website, we talk about this a lot, we call ourselves a community following Jesus. Uh, this is not simply a church. We are not just a bunch of gathered individuals, but we're a community, and we use that word community uh, Similar to family. This is a family that we are in. And I know many of you have attested that you have found brothers and sisters in this body. That you have found mentors like aunts and uncles. Even some of you have found spiritual parents in this body. And that is good. It's beautiful. It's the way it's supposed to be in the family of God. So today we are going to talk a little bit more about that family. How it's formed and why it is so important for us to be in this family, for us and for this city. Um, last week, you guys might remember we watched this video, really cool video from the guys at the, the Bible Project. I encourage you go on to jointhebibleproject.com, support them. Uh, they've got ama these amazing videos that are just great teaching tools. Last Sunday, we watched a video on um, the covenants of God, right? Um, and... Is that, do we have that slide? No. Oh, there it is. Um, okay, I thought about this afterwards too late. I should explain this slide uh, because if you weren't here last week, there's just an old guy and a young guy holding hands. <laughs> the guy on the right is God and the guy on the left is Jesus. Okay, so that, that's the context of the slide. Um, this, this video was all about the covenants of God, that God actually wants to partner with us. God is more than just father. He's more than just king. He's more than just teacher. He actually invites us into partnership with him. He is a partner. Unfortunately, we don't do a very good job with partnership. And we tend to fail and break this partnership with the Lord. And what he intends with that partnership for love, 
for hope, for peace, for justice. In our brokenness, we usher in hate, chaos, injustice, a lot of broken things. Throughout Scripture, though, God attempts to make these covenants with his people, right? With Noah and with Abraham, with the people of Israel, um, with King David. And it happens time and time again, humanity fails. Humanity breaks the covenant, the partnership. It falls apart. So God does something genius. He comes himself into the story of humanity in Jesus. Jesus is God made human. And for a purpose, to fulfill this partnership. Jesus becomes the way that we all are restored back to partnership with God. And even better news, it's more than just you and God. This is for the renewal of all things. All things. This is a unilateral partnership by God through Christ with humanity to bring back the order of the way things were meant to be. Love. Hope. Peace, justice, back into the world. This is all review, okay? So our next question should be, how do we then live out this partnership with God through Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We have ushers that will bring Bibles. They'll help you read through John this week. All right, ushers, can we get Bibles out? Thank you. Okay, uh, we're going to read Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I actually went round and round about like how I should cut this down, but I felt convicted to read uh, the whole thing, not to take anything out of it. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me. Here is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that departed and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember that. That's an important piece. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, I have no idea, and Pamphylia... Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the words of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, All of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Pause. That is a great line. (laughs) Because if it was ten in the morning, maybe you'd have an argument. But nine in the morning. Okay. Continue. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and smoke and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was to be abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father and promised his Holy Spirit. And has poured out what you now see here. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. With many other words he warned them, And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God 
and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, that your word is alive, God. And as we read it and sit together in it, God, it ministers to us. Lord, that you have things today that are new for us. And you have things that will never change, God, in your word. Would we just be grounded in it today? Would it come alive to us in Jesus' name? Amen. So our question was, how do we live out this partnership with God through Jesus? Throughout this passage, there is a theme. There's there's a word that's repeated three times in different portions of Acts chapter 2. It's a theme. it's It's a phrase. Being saved or to save, we're talking about salvation. And I want you to think for a minute with me about salvation. What does it mean to be saved? For most of us who grew up in the church, this is often thought of as what we are saved from, right? We get taught this all growing up. Come to Jesus, you'll be saved from hell. You'll be saved from sin. You'll be saved from the power of the evil one. Saved from bondage to sin. And all of those are right. All of those are correct. On a personal level, it's the same idea. We pray and we ask, God, save me from a bad relationship. Save me from losing my job. Save me from a life-threatening illness. Salvation is often thought of as what we are saved from. But what we don't spend much time thinking about or talking about is what we are saved into. What's on the other side of that? What if being saved from something is just the beginning? What if even more importantly is what we are being saved to? What would that something be? What are we saved to? A quick trigger response uh, from all you good Christians would be, I am saved to a personal relationship with God. And you would get a sticker. Right answer. That's true. And it sounds good. But it's not complete. Salvation is not just about you and God. If that was the case, then Adam would have been perfectly fine in the garden, alone with God in Genesis chapter 1. Think about it. Adam is living in absolute perfection. No sin, no brokenness, complete connectedness to God. If that is how it was supposed to be, then we would have heard God say, it is good. But that's not what we hear. What do we hear instead? Genesis 2, 18, God himself says, it is not good for man to be alone. Not good. If you've started your reading plan for this year and you're getting through Genesis right now, then um, this should stand out to you. There, there was a rhythm to Genesis chapter 1. He made it and it's good. He made it and it was good. He made it, it was good. Not good? Not good. Wait a second. There's something missing here. Something's incomplete. And God creates for Adam a partner. Eve. Now this is not a marriage talk. Marriage is not the emphasis. You don't get married to be closer to God or more like God or anything like that. Okay, don't go there. This is, though, our first glimpse 
of God created common unity between himself and humans. Common unity. We call this community. Community was God's plan for humanity. His, his way of renewing everything. He would create humans to live and work together and him be among us for the completion of the work he puts in front of us to do. But even more than his plan, this is God's very personhood. What do I mean by that? That God's personhood is community. Genesis 1.26, this is God speaking. He says, let us, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Man was created in the image of God. God is a community, a tri-unity. If God himself is a loving community, then we logically can say that man can't reflect a triune God being alone. It's not just about you and God. No man is an island. God didn't structure us that way. So, salvation is not just about you and God. The idea of salvation cannot be reduced to a personal relationship with Jesus. God's plan is much more encompassing than that. God intends for salvation to be a community-creating event. So back to our original question. What are we not just being saved from, what are we being saved to? The scripture we just read tells us in Acts chapter 2, it's a birth of something new, a new community. So let's start with a little bit of context so we understand what's actually going on in Acts chapter 2. This is Pentecost time. This is a, a feasting time, a festival time, where Jews from all over the world, all different nations, had to go to Jerusalem. They would travel to Jerusalem together, and they would feast. It's called the, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, and they'd celebrate together. Now, Jesus tells the disciples to stay, stay in Jerusalem, and wait, wait for my advocate. For your advocate, your helper, the Holy Spirit to come. And they're all together, the disciples are all together in one place. The Holy Spirit comes and this crazy thing happens, right? Uh, Mick Jagger tongues fall from the sky and they start falling on, on everyone. And they see this. And then they begin speaking in all these different languages, which is just a strange thing. Why would God do that? There must be some reason for that. Well, listen what happens. People begin to speak in these tongues. And then everyone around them, all these Jews from all over the world, begin to be drawn to that place. And what we're seeing here is a renewal. A renewal of something that happened back in Genesis 11. It's the story of the, the Tower of Babel. Go back and read it. I don't have time to break it all down. But here's what happens. In this moment, all of humanity, which was unified became scattered. You have all different languages, different tribes, segregated, even begin warring with each other. And then in this moment, everything changes. Now listen, we can identify with what happened at Babel. It's no different for our, our time that we live in now. We all live in different tribes and groups, right? 
whether it's, it's ethnic, okay, whether you're, you're, you're Democrat versus Republican, right, uh, whether you're new tech versus like old hippie in, in the hate, okay, if you're the, a marina bro with like mission hipsters, right, um, okay, maybe that's a bad example, but like these groups can't even communicate. They can't even communicate with each other. And in a very, all joking aside, very real sense, there are so many tribes on earth that are warring against each other in horrific ways. Now, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And in a moment, as God's spirit, flies, uh, God's spirit falls, there's this unifying event. They're given different languages, and people from all those languages are being drawn to where the Holy Spirit is, is present in his people. I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit doesn't fall and make everyone the same. It doesn't take away people's uniqueness. It falls, and in the uniqueness of the people, it unifies them and brings them together in community. And then Peter gets up, and he begins to give a sermon because people think everyone's drunk. Which is just a great reason to give a sermon. That's what I would do. Look how it concludes, though. We jump down to, to verse 36 in Acts chapter 2. It says, with many other words, he warned them, Peter, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Do you see salvation There. Do you see the from and to there? Look again. Salvation is from something, from this corrupt generation, but it's also to something, to their number, to the church, to this family, this community. The individual salvation was understood as deliverance out of one group into another. From a corrupt generation into the family of God. So salvation is not just about you and God. Salvation creates community. And even better said, salvation recreates the community we were intended for. But that's not the end of the story in Acts. Luke, who's the author of Acts, um, is not just excited about 3,000 people getting saved, right? And, and I've been in churches and places where, like, we just need to get people saved. Just get people saved. And yes, that's important. It's hugely important, but that's not the end of the story. It's not where it stops. Luke is just as excited about these people entering into a new life together with God and each other. He's excited about this new family that's being birthed. Acts 2, verses 20, uh, 42 to 47 Luke goes immediately into how this family interacted, how they operated. And he uses this really strong language. He says that they devoted themselves to one another. That phrase, devoted themselves, it's heavy. It, it changes the way we see everything else. Devoted themselves, stuck by each other, persisted in things together. They busied themselves doing together. They persevered together. Devotion is a very intense word. It should be. Think about it. What are you devoted to? Just sit with that for a second. 
What is it that you are devoted to? What gets your time? What gets your resources? What gets your dreams, your emotional energy? If you are devoted to a relationship, if you're devoted to your career, if you're devoted to a hobby, it gets all of you. It gets the best of you. It is not an additive to the rest of your life. It is the centerpiece. Faith in Jesus is not an addition to your individualistic life. That's not what scripture shows us. Instead, it is a complete reframing of life itself. It is a whole new way of life. If we were saved from brokenness and death and bondage to sin, then we are saved into this intense devotion together. God's family, God's community. And it means then that that community, if we're using the word devotion as Luke does, it means it gets the best of us. It's more important than our bank account. It's more important than other things on the schedule. It's more important even than you individually. Welcome to church. This is a complete reframing of our life. So how then did this life of devotion operate in the family of God, this newly birthed community? Luke says that there's some really practical ways. They devoted themselves to teaching, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to fellowship and breaking bread, having meals together, intimate times. They devoted themselves to being connected and sharing life with each other. They devoted themselves to supporting each other in every way, spiritually, emotionally, and even financially. If there was a need, they knew where to go. These are so good and so important. I think we can put these in, in three umbrella categories that we talk about in our community groups as really kind of the pillars of community group. We want to be communities of faith, of humility, and of hospitality. That's what we see here in what Luke is describing. These people were people of faith. People who had a conviction of things that were hoped for. A confidence of things they didn't see in front of them. They believed through Jesus that love and peace and justice would be restored to their lives, to their relationships, but even bigger to the renewal of all things around them. That God will make all things new. But they can't do it without him. And they can't do it without each other. That takes faith. There were people of humility. People who came to each other when they were in need. Who shared life together. The good, the bad, the ugly of themselves. Who didn't assume they had it all together. That they could solve the world's problems alone. Or with their own strength or wisdom. Instead, they ushered each other before the Lord to let him do the work that was needed. 
And they were people of hospitality. They were generous people. They were welcoming people. They were inclusive people. People who created space for others. Others who could enter in to where they would experience the Lord. This is the family of God. This is what community means in the church. And it's not just a far off ideal. It's real. And I know it's real because I experienced it this week. My life this week was like living in the whack-a-mole game. You guys remember the whack-a-mole game? You guys are too young. You don't know the whack-a-mole game. Don't pretend like you know the whack-a-mole game. (laughs) Whack-a-mole is this game where there's a box in front of you. And you have this hugely oversized mallet with a too short cord. And there are little moles, there's holes in this board and the the little moles pop up. And you use the mallet and you try to whack the mole as it pops up. And you get a point every time you whack in, sometimes you're not even sure if you hit it or not. And and it goes faster and faster. My life was whack-a-mole this week. Okay, I was um, grumpy. I was fighting with Noel, which means I was being a jerk. (laughs) And for those of you who think I'm just trying to be super husband from the stage, all of you who know Noel agree. Like, she is basically impossible of being mean. Like, she she doesn't hurt people. So I was was being a jerk this week. I was fighting with my kids. Like, I just found all the wrong things in my kids this week and, like, was just fixated on it. My dog was demon-possessed. My dog had a demon this week. I'm not joking. You're laughing. Something took over my dog. Okay, and that was just the exterior of what was going on. Interior of Dave was a mess this week. Um, Insecurities. Fear. Doubt. Questioning. uh, Just all palpable this week. Can't sleep, stress. It was whack-a-mole in every area of my being this week. And Noel, being my, my best friend, my being the closest one to me in the universe, um, she sees this and she's talking to me through it and she's help, trying to help me. And finally she says, you need to go get prayed for. And I, oh, you guys. In uh, pride, in immaturity, and just like sinfulness. My first thought, being honest with you, Noel says, you need to get prayed for. And my first thought was, no, 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 I'm the one who prays. People come to me to get prayed for. I'm the pastor. I don't go to other people to get prayed for. That's not the way that works. And it's sick, and it's wrong, And it's prideful, and I repent of it. Um, And what had to happen was I got to this place, honestly, where I was just at the end of um, my rope. I would try to sit with the Lord by myself, and it was like every distraction in the universe just like firing on all cylinders. I can't hear anything. It's It's just chaos, honestly. And 
Noah says, go get prayed for. I'm like, I can't do that. And, and she just gently keeps pushing me. And um, finally I said, okay. And you guys, that is a very humbling thing both to do in that moment and then say in front of you guys that like that was a struggle for me. To open myself up to be prayed for by people in the church. Um, but by God's grace, there was a, he orchestrated this whole way of, of me getting prayer by two amazing people in our church body who have the gift of prayer and intercession. And they just sat with me. For three hours, they sat with me. And they prayed over me. And they just held me up before the Lord. And you guys, it is hard to explain what God did in those three hours. But it was a renewal. It was a freedom. Uh, it was a hope. Uh, it was God taking things off of me that were never meant to be on me. Um, it was a reframing of my life. And why do I tell you that? I tell you that because I, I know I'm a pastor. Here's the way I think of it. If I'm a pastor and this is my full-time job as I'm supposed to be praying and be studying the Bible, then how much harder is it for everyone else who has every other distraction in the world? I just assume that you guys probably identify with this. I hope. Maybe not. And so this is what I believe God is calling us into. Is this experience of the family of God. That there's no one of us who is too good or too put together to not come alongside others in the church and lay our life down. Open our heart up. And through that, because this is the way God has created it, he actually shows up. You experience God, Emmanuel, his name, God with us. I believe that's the invitation for us today. If you are in community group and you uh, just have lived life on a surface level, maybe there's an invitation to go into the deep places, the deeper waters of your heart. Maybe you're like me and you feel like, well, that's not my role. See, I got things, I'm more put together than most other people. I think I can handle this. The truth is, you'll either sit in that and grind for a really long time or you'll come to a dead end. And you'll just need someone to come alongside you. You get to choose. This happens, you guys, not just uh, in prayer, although that's a lot of what I experienced this week. It happens when we open the word and we sit together. This is a living book. It is like water to our soul. It is like light to see better. We're meant to do it together. We're going to do some of that this week in community group. So church, I want to pray for us. Because I believe there's an invitation for us right now as we go into this time of response to the Lord. So let's, let's pray together. You guys, this week as I was um, in that time of prayer, God gave me this vision of being at a enormously long banqueting table. And at that table, 
Christ was seated, and he invited me into a seat next to him. And yet all around us were these open seats. And I remember thinking to myself, self, what are all these empty seats for? And this morning, as I was praying for you and for this time, I felt the Lord say to me, invite them to the table with us. So church, that is my prayer. Heavenly Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, I believe this is from you, Lord. I believe you are in this. And God, I I pray right now over my brothers and my sisters this invitation that you have given, Lord. God, that they would know that it it is not for the person sitting next to them only, Lord. It is for them that they wouldn't dismiss it. You're inviting them to the table with you. That you are Emmanuel with us, God, and you desire them at your table. Lord, not just to deliver them from their brokenness and their hurt. Although you want to do that, Lord, you also want to bring them into new life. A whole new way of being alive. Life in you, Jesus. So God, would you minister to us? This family that you have created, Lord, is not our creation. Do you speak to every heart? God, I pray against the schemes of the enemy that would try to distract or belittle this invitation, Lord. Pray, God, even for seeds that were planted generations ago, God, in these people's heart, Lord, that it would become alive. They would be watered right now and spring up. Those things that are planted deep in them, God, this hope of you. We just say, God, that we believe you are not just in the Bible, Lord. You are not just some far-off force that we pray to. You are with us. You are here. You are present. And your, your greatest desire, your greatest longing is for us to be present with you. So move us into that, Lord, by your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to move into a time of response to God. Um, One of the beautiful things about Christianity is that Christianity is very physical. It's uh, flesh and blood and bone. And Jesus has made it so that we would use tangible things like bread and cup to lead us into the reality of the gospel. He would use uh, community, and that's the beautiful thing about community. It's flesh 